Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is happening, gang? This is the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian, and we are jacked. Not about seasonal allergies. You're going to hear a little bit about on the show today, but we are jacked that we're in the midst of the draft process. And in today's episode, we're not getting into how the West was won. We're getting into how the draft is done. So we're going to get, as we kind of enter into the second and third rounds tonight, we're going to get Bill's perspective on how you actually do the draft from, you know, what does trade management look like? How do you move around for players? How do you do board construction? Those kinds of things. And then we end with probably the most important question of all. What do you eat in the draft room? So I think we're going to have some surprises for you. I was a little surprised because Bill and I have common snacks. So this is the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian, and this is how the NFL draft is done. What is up, gang? Before we dive into how the draft is done, I want to put in a word for our favorite sponsor, Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all your news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets. And best of all, it's free to sign up. So what are you waiting for? If you want to bet right, much like you want to do the draft right, you want to do your bets right, look no further than Bet Online. Head over to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right, a 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's head over to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today. My seasonal allergies have literally never been worse. Well, there's no better way to start the show than a bunch of guys complaining about pollen. So here we go. It's the Inside Football <laughs> Podcast with Bill Pullian. And today, we're going to talk about pollen. Right. Not the draft. Not what you came here for. We're going to talk about Allegra, Clarendon. We're doing it all, gang. Right. Yeah, this is... This is Inside Football with Bill Pollen. Yeah. Yes, I am juiced up on Zyrtec. How are we doing today, guys? We are we are hanging in there, but there is a lot of stuff in the air, right, Bill? Indeed there is. Indeed there All is. All right. Well, as as you're listening to this now, we've just gotten through the first round of the NFL draft, and we thought it would be a good time to kind of do something fun. Today, we're not doing how the West was won. We're doing how the draft is done. How How are we getting into this, Rick? Okay, Bill, let's start start with this. So um, it, back in the day when you were either the, the president or the GM of the club and, and you, were, you were in that week leading up to the draft, what kind of hours are you working? Oh, 5.30 in the morning till uh, 11 at night, probably maybe midnight, depending on on how tough the decisions are. Now, not all of those are in the office. You know, typically I'd get up at 5.15 or 5.30 and and sit in my home office and just go through notes and stuff like that and, and, and think thoughts. 
<laughs> relative to the draft and then, <laughs> you know, get in sometime around eight o'clock. And, and then if it, we were having meetings virtually all day, uh, eight to six, at six, we'd all take a workout break. If there was a need to come back and cover more stuff that evening, we would. We tried to avoid that if we could. We worked weekends to try and avoid that. Mm. I didn't want everybody just wrung out from working, mm-hmm. you know, 14 or 15 hours straight. You don't think right. correctly. Yeah. Then. yeah. And um, so uh, then we would we'd come back from the workout break and, and everybody would do whatever paperwork they had to do for for the day, for what, whatever had occurred that day. Um, that's as we got close to the draft. And the, this would have been from uh, a week ago, Thursday until now, including the weekend. Prior to that, for the week prior to that or 10 days prior to that, we would do that same process, but we'd be finalizing the board. Mm-hmm. And then prior to that, when you actually start the meetings following the following the annual meeting, which is right around April 1st, part of that day, typically, not this year, obviously, but typically would be broken up with um, meetings with players who, who, who are coming in for physicals or coming in for interviews and meeting principally with the coaches. I wouldn't spend a lot of time with them, but uh, the coaches would. And so... Those are kind of chopped up days. But once you got past that, uh, you're in that draft room mm-hmm. at least, uh, you know, 12 hours a day. Wow. Hey, so, Bill, how do those workouts work when you're a GM? Like, do you, or do you do you get to, like, kind of pick the brains of the training staff for the team and get on your own kind of cardio lift program, or sort of do you do your own thing? Oh, no, no. They, you could – They'd give you a strength and condition coach would give you any workout you wanted. <laughs> uh, mine was usually always cardio and very light lifting. Uh, famously, Tony Dungy and I, the day before the draft, and it probably was 2001, uh, were on side by side treadmills and, <laughs> and talking as we as we walked and ran. And, and, and I said to him, there, there's a. There's a, a really big tackle from the University of Georgia that, that we have very high grades on. And there's Dwight Freeney, who's six feet one and 265 pounds <laughs> and, and terrorizes left tackles. <laughs> Which would you prefer? And he said, uh, when in doubt, I always want speed. I said, okay, we're taking Freeney then. That's actually how the decision was <laughs> well, made. Not really. Did, 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 you, did you feel compelled to speed up the treadmill and go a little faster? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, it, it, as it turned out, you know, like most things that involving football with the Colts, we were both on the same page intuitively. Yeah. You know, yeah. when, when he said, when he, when he said, I, you know, I'll take speed every time, I said, boy, you know, there you go. Freeney's <laughs> our guy. I agree 100%. Exactly. What a smart decision that was. Now, you know, you've told us uh, in previous episodes that when you're really coming very close to to draft time, you're kind of down to two things that you're looking at. Uh, And the first one is character. And, you know, you are not Kevin Costner in draft day. So it's not the key piece of information is not the other guys didn't attend the, the quarterback's party. 
So what kind of stuff when you're in, in that refined area about character, what are you looking for? And actually, how do you gather? To whom do you speak to get that kind of stuff? Well, that starts with the area scout uh, back at the school. We had uh, we did things a little differently than a lot of clubs. Mo uh, in, when I was working, which is almost 10 years ago, most teams gave scouts 40 schools, area scouts 40 schools. So that meant that they made two, maybe three visits to the school. Uh, we gave our scouts 20 schools. And we had, because we had more of them, Mr. Ursay allowed us to hire a, a, a full scouting staff. And, uh, and so they would make four, maybe five visits to the school uh, during, uh, before and during the season. So that when they, they were, re the reason for the smaller number of schools was that they were responsible for every player on the roster. So if a freshman got into trouble, it was the area scouts' responsibility to go into the director of football operations or the pro liaison, whoever that happens to be. Each school has a, 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 a person who's the liaison with pro scouts and, and say, what happened here? What, what, what's the problem? And he notes that in the guy's file. Every player on the team has an open file. So that, that, keeps, that keeps going throughout a player's career at the collegiate level. And then as you, get to the, as you get to the time when they're becoming draft eligible in the fall of their senior or draft eligible year, then you sit down with the director of football operations and ask some very, very serious and far-reaching questions if there are issues. In addition, the security people, are our security chief and the firm that we use to do backgrounds on players would be doing the very same thing. So the time that you get to, and they would be doing public information and legal information, what have you. So by the time you get to uh, March, after the combine has been completed, the first meeting you have after the combine is the medical meeting. And then the second meeting you have is the security meeting with the security chief, in our case, the director of player development, and the outside uh, contractor that we used, and they would go over w issues uh, in in great depth, and, and and we would make some decisions even then as to who to have on the board and who have who have not. Now, there were often outstanding court cases, traffic cases, guys that missed court of previous court appearances or things like that. Uh, warrant type issues that would go all the way up to this week. And in some cases, uh, we would uh, we would call the agent and say, listen, your guy is we like him, but you know what? He's got an outstanding warrant. Get it right. <laughs> or an outstanding bunch of traffic tickets. Get it cleared up, will you please? And uh, and so, you know, most times they would. But kids being kids, they get, you know, they, they do those kinds of things. I, I, I must admit to some of that when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we've all had our time. Yeah, we, we don't, you know, we don't uh, disqualify people before that because of that. If there were serious issues, then that was investigated fully. 
And if the player was a high-profile player that we had interest in, we would go back and do a second, a second look to make sure that we had all the appropriate information. And every once in a while, you know, once every five or six years, there might be a player where you'd go to the owner and say, you know, this guy's a really good player and he could really help us. But, you know, you need to know that this is what's in his background. And in some cases, the owner would say yes. In other cases, no. And, and so the decision was made that way. Mm -hmm. But you guys are never really surprised by the way we as fans are when these stories come out, you know, week of the draft, where it's like ex-players got this terrible thing in their background. You've known that stuff for months, right? Yes, we've, we've known that since the start of his, senior, or his draft eligible year. And, and it's been investigated fully and vetted fully and all that kind of thing. Right. And if there was a positive marijuana test at the combine or a positive marijuana test at a, at, a, at a NCAA function or something like that, we'd know about that very early in the process, much earlier than the general public knows. If, if uh, he were tested and he um, tested positive uh, for PEDs, would 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 casual use of marijuana or would actually use of PEDs be something that you would be more concerned about? Well, there are two different league policies. A positive marijuana test in a league, at a league function such as the combine triggers uh, the drug program. So that player is automatically in the drug program and then has to follow testing protocols which are established by the drug program. He has a right to, to appeal it, but most don't. They just go into the program. PEDs are an entirely different matter. PEDs are, are treated much more severely by the league than they, they do even recreational drugs. So uh, he's automatically in the program. He's automatically under investigation. He might automatically face a two-game suspension. There, that that's a serious deal. So you know, would we take the guy? Maybe, depending on what we, you know, what we heard. Typically, what you hear is what 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 we hear in the first instance from the agent is what you hear uh, from the media. Oh, gee, I didn't know what I was taking. I took a yeah. supplement, and I and and they give us creatine at the school, and so. Once that happens, that's why all these the combine's so important. All these tests go on at the combine. So once that happened, uh, you know we'd have one of those every year. And so the personnel director, assistant GM, if it was a if it was a high profile enough K player, myself, we would go back to the player and say, "Look, I, we don't want to hear from your agent. What's the story? Be honest mm -hmm. here." Well, like to that point, I mean, you almost never hear of anybody getting popped in the NFL for PEDs anymore. Do you think that's a function of they're just not used or, you know, people have gotten more sophisticated at getting around the tests? It's, it's not like it is in certain other high-level contact sports like that. No, actually, there are quite a number of players who get popped every year. There are gradations in the program where on your first test, you would suffer a fine. That's not publicized. Okay. The second test, you, you'd suffer a fine and you'd be on double secret probation. The second right, test, right, right. you're going you're gonna to get suspended. Yeah. And, okay. and so the, the, 
I believe that's the case. I haven't checked it recently, but I believe that's the case. So there are many more uh, there are many more positives and disciplinary issues than ever you know reach the public eye mm-hmm. because okay. they don't reach the suspension level either because they're appealed and the appeal officer said no we we don't have enough information here to pop the guy or the league says that look this is an honest mistake and so we'll just fine him. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on the sub, if they used a banned substance, for example, uh, that popped up in a, they, all this over-the-counter stuff contains banned substances. Yeah. Now, oh, if my allergies program, get any worse, I want steroids today. <laughs> that the uh, the the program requires that you that you know it's your responsibility what you put into your own body. So there are more than 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 come to light. Right. Yeah. And you're right what agents do when uh, when our pal David Baker was uh, the commissioner in the Arena League bill. I, I once got a player off by saying that uh, he thought uh, the, the stuff he was consuming was uh, oregano. <laughs> so Entirely yeah. possible. Yeah, right. So anyhow, so you mentioned the other thing, the medical. Uh, talk about the the sort of the post combine or, or a year where we don't have combine but you know follow up medical uh what you're looking for and then take us in a little into your analysis you're talking to the team doctor uh and you're you're obviously weighing you know the potential value this guy has versus the seriousness of his injury or the, re, the likelihood of re-injury how do you how does that calculus really work in the end well Every place I've worked, the doctor's word is law. He, he has the right to, to stop you from drafting a player because there's a lot of money at risk. And if he feels there's big risk with the player, then he has the right to say no, take him off the board. Or he has the right to say no, you can't take him in the first round because there's too much risk here. Now, having said that, if you have a good relationship with the docs, and I always tried to cultivate one and, and obvious and ended up, you know, I'm still friends with many of the doctors that I worked with all through, all through my career, then you, you have a dialogue. So the medical meeting takes place in, uh, in March, early April after the combine, all the information's in and, uh, and they grade the players one through five. So one is a guy that's never been on the field because so, he doesn't have any injuries. If you've been on the field, <laughs> you never, have injuries. Yeah, I'd say he's never played football, yeah. yeah he may not have been have practiced. So, <laughs> so uh, you're not interested in him anyway. Right, yeah, right. 2.5 is what I used to kiddingly call the weasel grade. Uh, <laughs> They don't want to go on board and say, no, you can't take this guy. Right. But they want to say, well, he's a 2-5. You know, he might go south on us. He yeah. might. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's no, we're, we're doing away with that grade. <laughs> there is no 2.5. He's either right. a, he's either a, a, a 2 or a 3 or a 4. Right. So um, there are all fives are you know, need treatment probably. You know, they, they shouldn't be playing football. Those are guys who, who who really have a lot of difficulty. So now you get into the fours. 
they're pretty clean. The threes and then the twos are guys that are you'd worry about and the vast majority end up being threes when it's all said and done. So if a guy is, let's say, a four, let's use Gronk as an example because it's a well-known story. Right. If a guy's a four, you would say to the doctor, okay, we can take him. Why did you make him a four? <laughs> well, I'm really not comfortable with him in the first round. Because I think because of this condition, he's going to end up playing 12 games a year. You're not going to get 16 out of him. And so if the owner asks, are we going to get 16 games out of this guy? I, I have to say no. Well, Doc, where would you put him? First of all, he would have given a complete explanation of the of the condition. I won't bore you with that. Right. Um, right but, it, but it's his back. It's his back. It's his back. Right. And so he would then say, well, I'm probably okay with him at the bottom of the second where we're drafting, but you better know we're not going to get a full season out of him. And I can't tell you when this is going to flare up. I can tell you that it will. I can't tell you where, when it's going to flare up. I, tell, I absolutely tell you that it will. Could it end his career prematurely? Absolutely it could. I won't say that it, that, that it will, but it certainly could. So... What I'm hearing, Doc, is that you want him in the third round, and he said, "Yeah, that's 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 the that's the place where all the problem children go <laughs> for, for for every reason." <laughs> and uh, and so he said, uh, "He said, yeah, I mean that's it." Now, I was not smart enough to ask the question that should have been asked, which was, "What if we? What if we're okay with 12 games?" Right. What if the owner's okay with 12 games? Because the 12 that he plays will be favorites. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and if you manage him correctly and have him ready in December and January, he'll be a big factor. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't because right. I, it didn't occur to me to think what would what would the advantage to us be with a 12-game player versus a 16-game player? Because traditionally, we all think guys in the first and second round, we want them there for 16 games. What's the most important ability? Availability. Availability. Yeah, yeah. So we, 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 I, I didn't think in those terms. Coach Belichick, one step ahead of us in those days, did. And said, okay, we'll live with 12 games. And I think they, he probably had a little more sway over the doctors than I did, but it, did, it didn't matter. He, he, was, he was able to recognize that 12 games of Gronk, which is, by the way, what he played historically in his career. Uh, our, our, our neurosurgeon reminds me of that all the time, <laughs> including. <laughs> so I reminded him after this year's Super Bowl that one of the 12 that Gronk played this year was the Super Bowl. How about that one? Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. played pretty well. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but he was right. He was right. And yeah. So you know, it, we, we didn't have him on the board. Do you think that this? Do you think the seventeen game schedule will completely change these conversations in the sense that, like, even though it's just one more game, 
you know, it's not like an increase of sort of 10%, but it's one more game that it'll be a paradigm shift in thinking about kind of drafting a roster construction like that. Um, I don't know that it'll be a paradigm shifting, but it, but you'll, you'll have, you'll deal with it. I mean, you have to deal with it. It, it, there is no truth to the canard that was put out a couple of years ago that that injuries stabilize at midseason. That was nonsense. I don't know where right. somebody dreamed that up. It was a good yeah. talking point. One of the lawyers dreamed yeah. that up. Yeah, you know, it, it, they don't. One it, of the lawyers who never played football. The the uh, the, the yeah a lobbyist or somebody. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the, 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 this as the season grows longer and goes longer. Players are more susceptible to injury. They're more worn down. And you have to take care of them. You have to be sure how you practice and all those kinds of things. So the 17th game, regular season game, we don't have any data on this. But my surmise is that because of 17 games, there'll be more teams in the race than there are with 16. Hmm. So you'll have more meaningful games in the 17th week. Right. And so those will be like playoff games. So, you know, that's going to add, that's going to detract from longevity for players for sure. That's certain. Because you're giving up one preseason game where they cruise through it, may not even play, and, right. and, and, to one where they're going all out. Right. So that's going to take its toll without question. Do you think they'll expand the draft because of it? No. Could you see them adding rounds to the draft? No. The the union absolutely does not want to add rounds to the draft. We are going to have to add. They they will this year, I think, add players to the practice squad. We're going to have to add players to the active roster. No question mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And, and will load management come into football the way it has in basketball? It's always been in football. It's just uh, screamed and yelled about when we do it. What did we do when we were? Oh yeah, fifteen and zero, right? right? Sat Peyton Manning yeah, down yeah. when they right. looked like yeah. the game was won, right? The game right. was meaningless. Yeah. So they wanted there, there were there were mobs of people trying to burn my house and car, and you know, <laughs> the newspaper you know wanted me impeached and so on and so forth. So uh, we do it now. It's just not met with a lot of favor by the media, right? So. Uh, will that get into even more of like sort of a, for lack of a better term, a pitch count? Like, so, you know, not just because you, you, you know, the, the... Yeah, we do that now. We do that oh, you, now. Okay, okay, oh, yeah. even even during the season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, with, with defensive linemen, because they're the, the rushers, because they're so important in closing out the game. When you have wins, you know, when you're when you're ahead in the game in the fourth quarter... The, the best closers are pass rushers. They close the game out. You're ahead. The other team has to throw. You sack the quarterback. You cause a sack fumble. You win the game. Right. So John Teeler, God rest his soul, our defensive line coach with Tony's full concurrence, would rest Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis in the first and second quarters. Okay. And even some in the third so that they'd be full bore in the fourth. Mm-hmm. We, we do that. We do okay. that now. Same with running backs. They lighten the running backs' loads on a on a predetermined basis throughout the game. The guys that play full time are the offensive linemen and 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 the big people inside. Linebackers, only two linebackers play a hundred percent of the snaps. Um, so you know, 
the corners and safeties play most of the time, but you, you'll, you'll give them – they don't go on special teams either, so you give them a little break there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in terms of information gathering, let's talk a little bit more about that. And In one of our previous episodes, uh, you, know, you, you, you know, you referred to Nick Saban as, you know, the, sort of the, the final arbiter of anything uh, Alabama-related, of course, and you took it as gospel. Uh, but – you, aside from all the things that the folks who worked for you gathered, did you have personally have relationships with a, a number of head coaches, uh, college head coaches around the league who you trusted their judgment and also their willingness to give you, you know, the, the, the truth, the unvarnished truth, and you'd have a conversation if something was up in the air? Well, not, not if something was up in the air. No, I went to two games a week usually. Thursday night and Saturday. So, and I was also the chairman of the Collins Relations Committee. So I had a lot of uh, a, a mm. lot of interaction with the American Football Coaches Association. Grant Taft was their executive director, but I I would I knew virtually all the members of the board, the board of directors, and things like that going back twenty years. So, um, when I would go to a game, I'd always make it my 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 business to. Uh, to say hello to the both head coaches, and, uh, and oftentimes they would they would say to me, you know, this guy, keep an eye on him. Hey, what about that guy, coach? Eh, don't be too sure on that guy. You know, things like that. Now, of course, if it was Penn State, um, oftentimes I'd see Joe the night before the game. He he toward the end of his career, he didn't do the press gaggles like he used to. He used to have um, cocktail parties that all the press and you know, sort of friends of the program would be at um he didn't do that much at, at, at toward the end but we'd always I'd always spend time with him and, and 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 that's true of a lot of college coaches so when it came time to call right around draft time and just get the final uh final approval you know they were more than willing to do it uh, for example if I went to see Alabama I'd stop by and see Nick before I'd get there four hours before the game and stop by and see Nick and you know shoot the breeze see, you know things like that so that was just a matter of course okay and and uh, and guys uh would give you the real story I mean they're, they're not trying to push their players or no sell. no absolutely not no they give you the real scoop and, that, and not just me everybody they give you the real scoop okay um, so, uh, you know, and maybe you can expand on this a little bit, but, uh, our friends in, uh, the draft industrial complex, or as we say, the DIC, uh, you know, talk about this shooting up the board and so on and so forth. But you've, you know, you've told us that the reality is the board's pretty set and that the January board is the best barometer of what's really going to happen. Can you take us from once you sort of have that board set and this, you know, sort of across the three teams uh, that you ran, uh, were there, uh, other than the owner and the head coach, was it always the same people either by position or were you choosing by, say, say Dom was somebody who you, didn't matter what his title was, who, who you wanted to be speaking to as things started to really get serious and you're really narrowing down your choices? Well, I think you got I think you have to look at You have to understand the scouting process as a continuum. It's a process. 
which is why what goes on in the media in, in, from almost from January until the draft is, is an absolutely unrealistic picture because they don't know what the process is about. The process starts with the area scouts way back when the kid may be a freshman or sophomore. I mean, people people knew about Clemson's quarterback when he was a freshman. So yeah, I think freshman in high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't go that far back. I mean, we, we did do a four-star and a three-star check, you know, just run a computer check. But that we found out it doesn't mean anything. The, right. In fact, there are more – every year there are more three and two stars – playing in the Super Bowl, and there are four stars. That, that's a fact. Um, Why do you think that is? Because you can't, you can't judge a high school kid. You don't know what the hell he is. You know? right. And the people that are judging don't know what they're judging anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the, uh, so the, the process starts then, and then you go out during the year, and, and, you're, and you're looking at players, and the closer you get to January – the more focused you become on your individual needs and, and individual board. And so there is not a universal board. There may be a universal first, uh, first round because, after all, there are only 18 or 20 first-round grades. So, I mean, people are going to put people in the round they belong in. The gurus give themselves uh, awards when they get all the people in the first round. Well, if if you ask any scout to do a mock draft on the first round and he and he got even one wrong, you'd probably fire him. <laughs> so it's the it's the you know it's the it's like flipping a coin. One side of the coin is 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 counterfeit, and the other side is real. Right. You know. Yeah. So now what you're doing is grading guys by capability. And round. So you don't put them up there 1 to 256. You put them up there by position, by round, and then you grade them within the round. So that begins, that process starts in January after the bowl games. That board is the most accurate board, not about where people are drafted, but by who makes it, Mm -hmm. which is after all, that's what we're doing all this for. That's what this is. We're not doing this to have a red carpet or a television show. Exactly. Or to be on floating boats in the Bellagio, which would have been amazing. Yeah, exactly right. We are not doing that for this purpose. In fact, most of us detest it. Yeah. The, 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 what we're doing it for is to try to make our football team better. Our football team. So our focus is on our football team. Only. And Baltimore's parameters for players are different than Indianapolis's. Right. Based on the coach's philosophy, the systems that they use, their philosophy of what kind of players they want as people and where they fit and so on and so forth. So it's 32 different people putting together a board based on their own individual interests. Not anybody else's. And Kyle Shanahan, um, Thursday, I guess, or I'm sorry, Monday, made a great, great, great statement. He said it would be irresponsible of me 
to listen to outside experts on this choice. I'm employed, the San Francisco 49ers employ me to make this choice. Bravo, Kyle. That's exactly right. Outsiders need not apply. Right, right. And, right. and if we want an outsider's opinion, as I did with Bill Walsh on Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, I called him and said, Bill, would you mind looking at the tape and, and giving us a, an opinion? People have called me and said, would you look at the tape and give us an opinion? That, that's, a, that's a true expert who's been in the business, who's had to make the decisions, et cetera. But to listen, to think that outside people, be they agents or media people, or hangers-on of some sort, have any right to have a voice is absurd. And, right. and we don't listen. We don't right. listen. Right, we don't listen. And, 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 the, and, and when you or Bill Walsh, that's an outsider who's an insider. <laughs> so, Yes, yes. So, so, Bill, you made an interesting point there because I think we as fans think that you're highly, highly aware of what other teams are doing. So is that just a myth? Do you think about total what other teams myth. are doing in terms of moving around? No, it's a total myth. We'll get to we'll get to trades here in a second. Yeah, we will. And yep. draft okay. management. That's a different draft management is a different subject. But in terms of lining up the board and putting yep. the players where they belong. You are not the slightest bit interested in what anyone else is doing. Right. You're focused totally on your own process, your own system, your own numbers. That's all you care about. And and in the end, that's all you, you have reason to care about. If you're worried about what other people are doing, you're wasting your time taking it away from the, the owner that pays you to do what you do for your club. Mm -hmm. um, right. I, I've often told this story, but it bears repeating. My first year with the Colts, a friend of Mr. Ursay's came in the room, I guess my second year, came in the room and looked at the sideboard and, and the DNDC do not draft character and, and the DNDX do not draft medical. There were a long list of people and a lot of names. <laughs> and, and as yeah. a result, uh, and, and famous names. And, and this friend said, what? what's going on here? Look at all these good guys you got over there. He said, well, we don't want them. <laughs> they're either medical failures or we don't want them because of character. Well, but they're great players. We don't want them. Mr. Arcee said, that's fine. Let them do their thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just, you're doing it for you and, and, and you only. Right. Um, so, so Bill, continue to take us uh, through the process as you're, as you're, you know, you're honing your analysis, uh, the board's set up, but you are, and you are having these internal discussions, whether it is with somebody like the doctor, but more so among the football people. What are you talking about? What kind of information are you sort of continuing to gather or what questions are you asking? How do you go from, you know, refining it from, you know, that, that the board that you have, but you know, you're going to be making choices within that. How do you, how do you start getting to that level? Well, there's a number of things that you measure and you discuss. The first would be off the film. Production, level of competition, and, and the quality of the program. So let's use Lance as an example. There, there's not a lot of play there. There's not a lot of film there. So, you know, you, you have not a lot to go on relative to what the production is. 
it's at a lower level of comp, albeit a good program that turned out Carson Wentz and some others. It's a, it's a very solid program, but it's not Alabama. It's not the college football playoff. But 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 you do trust the program. This is not some fly-by-night outfit. These guys have built a good program over time. And, and so you're measuring that. You're looking at that. For example, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you uh, round figures here. But Lance had the year that he played um, two years ago. He had over 20, I think, 2,700 passing yards. I could be wrong. Let me look it up while I'm grading. Yeah, I'll pull it up. I got okay. It. And then he had 1,100 rushing yards. So roughly speaking, a third of his production came with his legs. Well, you're going to discuss whether or not you think that's sustainable in the NFL. And the offensive coordinator is going to talk about it, and he will have seen the film. And the quarterback coach is going to talk about it, and he will have seen the film. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then you're going, to, you're going to ruminate on that. This, these, are, these are meaningful yeah. discussions and hard decisions because not everybody's going to agree. The next thing you And as you, as per usual Bill, you were 100% right. <laughs> 2786 and 1100 on the dot. Okay. So okay. that's pretty good with 86 yards of the total. So it's not uh, bad. Those are the, that those are long drawn out difficult discussions because there's really no good answer. Right. There's no right or wrong. Yeah. No, there's no right or wrong. For example, uh, Fields has a little bit, because he was a baseball pitcher, has a little bit of a hook at, at the beginning of his delivery, at the end of his backswing, if you if you will. Same as Kerry Collins. It's not as pronounced as Kerry Collins, but he does pronate his wrist. I think a supinate his wrist. And so that can cause a, a bit of time lag when you deliver the ball. In Kerry's case, it was pronounced, but it was fine because his arm was so strong. I mean, he had a rocket for an arm. So the timing made up the difference. And when that became an issue, I, Jim Caldwell was then coaching the quarterbacks at Penn State. And I called Jim Caldwell and I said, tell me about the so-called hitch. And he said, it's there. And it's because he was a pitcher. But he's, his arm is so strong that it, it's going to get there on time no matter what. It's okay, which he was 100% correct. Um, but Fields has a little of that. So you, 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 you talk that through. What does the timing look like? Let's go back and look at the film. Let's see if there are any issues there. Um, I'm not saying there were, but that, that's just the kind of discussion that you would have. Um, then, then, then you have the measurables. And the measurables are, are inviolate except when somebody loves somebody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, we love Dwight Freeney. Exactly. So, yeah. are we going to say 6-1 is good enough? <laughs> hey, right, we're talking about my girlfriend. That's right. So, we made the call to Mike Giddings, Pro Scout Incorporated, the last word on metrics. And... <laughs> 30 years worth of, of statistics on who makes it and who doesn't. Is this a red number? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now you have to talk that through. 
and 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 we would do regression analyses every year of our own to try to make sure that the numbers were correct mm-hmm. and that they weren't uh, that we weren't chasing boogeymen where there weren't any and and so you know we found out for example that once you hit four or five which was our cutoff speed for receivers whether you ran four five or four two it didn't matter right now judge the guy's a football player that's what the numbers and the history told us conversely 7.0 on the triangle drill for us was a pass fail if he's not 7.0 the odds of making it are not good if he's less than 7.7.0 or 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 better fine 6.8 exceptional but you know no reason to worry about it so bill parcells taught me by first of all by example and then later talking to him he was gracious enough to to talk with me and, and we talk football a lot we still do these days statement that he made which is absolutely correct if you make exceptions you'll end up with a team full of exceptions <laughs> and so we, we, we were we were really really strong about the numbers being the numbers and and the and the ones that you really lose sleep over are Devonte Smith where it's it's a it's a it's a red number. Yeah. Red. 166 is a red number. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. So it just is. It just is. So what are you gonna do? That, that's you know, that that's a that's a tough call. That's yeah. what general managers get paid the big bucks to do. Right. So with receivers, are there degrees of red numbers? Because I mean, I'll get killed if I don't ask this question. Because uh, f- friend of the show Shane Bogan has asked it on Twitter no- numerous times, like the Jerry Rice forty time. Like how red a number is that? Was that to you? Well, for the uh, for the forty uh, uh, ers it wasn't red. Right. Keep in mind, everybody has different standards, right? Different criteria. Different criteria. In the end, the right number was four five eight. So we were worried about it in Buffalo. We were really worried about it. Uh, but you, you probably, you know, in the end, we said, put him up where he belongs. He's an outstanding receiver. And San Francisco took him, so there was no, no issue there. Yeah. But I learned from that process that there are different, different strokes for different folks to begin with. And secondly... When I read Bill's book and then later Bill Walsh's book and later talked to him at, at great length about it, their concern was not speed. Their concern was girth and toughness and the ability to catch the ball in traffic and run after the catch because they were never going to put their guys in a position where pure speed was what was going to run, we're going to win the route. They, they, and, and, and their receivers did a lot. Of crossing routes. Now, also, when I was coming up, there was a, it's its not quite the case any longer, but the uh, the X receiver, the guy on the, on the strong side, uh, was usually slower, could be slower than the, uh, than the Z receiver, the guy on the, on the weak side, because the Z would get most of the one-on-one coverage. The X would get a lot of coverage rolled to him, so he had to be bigger and stronger and 
those kinds of things. That's not quite the case anymore. That was certainly the case in Lombardi's day and even beyond that. Um, so it's relative. It's relative to the individual club. And then you, know, you look and say, what's the production here? Let's go, let's go back to the previous step. What's the production here? What's the level of comp? Uh, Jerry Weiss distinguished himself, by the way, at the Blue-Gray game. So th there was no issue there. That's the, the great leveler, no pun intended, for level of comp are the All-Star games. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you might – Freeney was a red number. I mean, that was as red as red could be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if you believe in him, then go ahead and pull the trigger. Right. So yeah. The next area that you get into, which is really, really, really important and which no one sees – we don't see, the media doesn't see, the gurus don't see, and rumors are almost always wrong, are the personal characteristics and the psychology of the player. And the thing that you're looking for there, you're trying to measure, is work ethic, drive, the, the desire to be really good, maturity, self-discipline, the two go hand in hand, the ability to learn and process Leadership ability, if the player has it, and that's usually uh, that's usually denoted by a captaincy or a, 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 an honor society within the football program, like the Iron Hawks at Iowa. Mm -hmm. If you're an Iron Hawk, if you win, if you're part of that society, you have been an exemplary worker in the weight room for your entire career at Iowa. So. When we would see a team captain, put a little check mark there. When you see an Iron Hawk, put a little check mark there. You know, and there are many others that, that many other programs that, that have those kinds of situations because it indicates what the guy is. And then you go back to Coach Levy's almost number one dictum. Don't confuse personality and character. They're two different things. So a guy can be boisterous and outgoing and irreverent and a huge presence. He could be the voice of WWE. Correct. Huge presence like Freddie Smurlis was. Or he can be quiet, introspective, cerebral, linear in his thinking, and mathematical in his approach to the world like Jim Richer was, mm -hmm. they were both all pros, and believe it or not, they were roommates. Really? <laughs> right. yeah. That was the odd couple. The odd couple, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jim Richer is probably still flying. He's a captain with American Airlines, and, and Freddie made a fortune in the real estate business in Boston and is still a personality on Boston yeah. radio and television. So, but they were roommates. And, uh, and, and they're the perfect example of don't confuse personality with character because you want both of them on your team. Yeah. You, you know, but Bill, having worked uh, in different sports for me, tennis and basketball and football, there is this common thing of, of the true greats. Not only were they blessed with more talent, they worked harder than anybody else. Yeah, that's right. I mean, people always say when you're best player is your hardest worker, Brady, Manning, et al., Breeze. Yes. You don't have any issues on your team because everyone else follows along. Yeah. And, and why do you care about character? 
because coaches, someone said this today. I, I wish I could remember who it was, but someone said it today in, in, in a story in the media. Coaches don't drive the team. The head coach will have a tremendous impact on the team's psychology and how the team does things. And if he's truly gifted, he'll take them like a good captain of a ship through the, the, the rough waters and the shoals and the battles and, and, and steer the ship. And, they, and they'll believe in him. But it's the belief of the players in one another and they're following their player leaders that ultimately get you there. And that's why you care about and should care about character as, uh, as the, the person that's putting the squad together. That's the reason. Because they together will either be greater than the sum of the parts or less. And that depends upon player leadership. Yep. Yep. Um, so we, we, you mentioned a little bit about, uh, or Scott mentioned, sort of other teams. Uh, obviously, G, you know, GMs are not going to tell one another who they're drafting in what round. But just in terms of either bouncing things off or getting information, were there other GMs in the, in the league, Bill, that you felt you could talk to where you guys could be honest with each other and sort of walk away both more knowledgeable after you spoke? to one another about what was coming up? Yeah, but it usually wouldn't be about individual players. Okay. It would be about, uh, for me, it was Jim Finks throughout my whole career. Uh, Ernie Corsi. Yeah. Chuck Schmidt in Detroit. I, I'm probably going to coach Shula, Paul Brown. Uh, I, I'm leaving people out and I apologize, but I would talk to them about various subjects that had to do with players we were considering, but never about an individual player. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Nor they, me, you know. Yes. Uh, what about uh, this uh, thing that the, the media likes to put out there, that teams are engaging in sort of intentional dissemination of misinformation about what they're going to do? Well, that's about as old as the draft, I guess. And it's yeah. <laughs> true. Um, there are kind of three types of teams. The first is those that disseminate bad information. And, you know, I could give you names that would be instantly recognizable mm. who were purveyors, <laughs> world-class purveyors of that. Uh, you, you learn to take it with a grain of salt, obviously. Uh, there are teams that sometimes will get spooked by it, teams and owners that will sometimes get spooked by it, because believe it or not, owners talk to one another a great deal more than GMs and coaches talk to one another. Uh, so owners can get spooked by that. And so you'll all, every draft, I would have Mr. Ursay come in and say, listen, I heard this about so-and-so. Or I get a call from somebody in the office and say, did you hear this about so-and-so? And my answer would be no, but I'll follow up on it. And so I would have the security guy do, go do it. And, and it would usually turn out to be nothing. Um, and, and as long as it was harmless in the sense of um, 
you know, this player's height is not correct. Instead of being 6'4", he's really 6'2 and 3 eighths. You know, he, he or instead of being two, 280, he's 265. He had two blocks of weight in his pockets right, when right, he weighed. Right, right. You know, that stuff, you know, I, it, it didn't bother me. Now, when people question people's character, other things that go right to the heart of a person's being, mm-hmm. uh, courage, processing speed, etc., that really got me annoyed. And I was always very outspoken about that. I would speak very little about the draft. But when that stuff came out, I was really, really um, outspoken and angry about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the Wanderlick test, when Wanderlick test results were made, uh, were made uh, public, public, I was furious. As a matter of fact, one year in the competition committee, I put forth a $100,000 fine for a club that was found to have released Wanderlick results. Right, right. Uh, it didn't get, it didn't pass. Yeah. But I think the committee made enough of a stink that we, we kind of stopped it for a while. I mean, that, that, that kind of stuff or the psych- psychological tests could be very, da- really damaging. Well, the psychological testing now is illegal to, to. Right. There's, there's a thing called HIPAA. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. That's HIPAA. But I mean. That's exactly right. The Wonderlick should almost be covered by that, even though it's not technically medical information. There are people that put out bad character information. They do. I mean, it's disgraceful and despicable, but but they do. It's a small minority of people, but they do. And then there are the gossip mongers. And, and, you know, we didn't do it. I I told our guys, I don't want to engage in gossip. I don't want to get intake in gossip. And I don't want to give any gossip. So stay out of it and blame me. Tell all your friends. I, I would tell the scouts. Tell all your friends in the scouting community. If the old man finds out that I told you something, I'm dead. So I can't. I love you. I'd love to tell you, but I can't. And not even mostly dead. Totally dead. <laughs> yeah, forever. <laughs> so, but so, Bill, do teams do that because they want to try to get a player to slip? Yeah, yeah, they're trying to get a player to slide. But how stupid is that? Like, if somebody <laughs> goes out and says. Oh, you know, Scott's pretty dumb. But then you come to the organization, you go, oh, you were the guys that told the world I was dumb. That's a tough thing to reconcile. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. And it's and and why would anyone you have your own you have your own body of work? Yeah. That's why that's why I I, I keep coming back to the idea that people don't fly up draft boards and and and, and things don't just come to light at you know 24 hours before the draft why because everybody does their own work right everybody does their own work and yeah. and they have those in so if somebody comes into me and says hey i just heard from so and so oh this actually happened we had a bunch of media you know in-house media people who who didn't get the didn't get the word that they weren't supposed to talk about this stuff i remember some of them yeah one of them came in and, and said, hey, I just heard, told the coach, I just heard this about this guy. You know, he's dumb. <laughs> he, he can't read or write. And so the coach came down to me and said, so-and-so just told me this. I don't know where it came from. So I said, let me look at his file. Pulled out his file. Not only can he read or write, he wrote an essay. <laughs> 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 you know, 
and his wonderlick was fine. Right. So yeah, no truth to it. Yeah, yeah. So he, the 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 guy who was disseminating it, got suckered by by someone who frequently, by the way, uh, competing agents. They're they're the worst. Yes, that's true. They're the worst. Uh, who trying to knock uh, another guy down so that they can boost their guy up? Yeah, yeah. The other myth, the other myth that I don't think we've touched on is that agents can get players drafted in certain spots by certain teams. Absolutely and totally untrue. Exactly. I mean, I mean, when I was an agent, that was the one thing I said. I said, I don't know who else you're talking to, but if anybody tells you that they can get you to move you from the fifth round to the second round, I don't, if you don't go with me, just don't go with him. There's only there's only 32 guys in, in the United States that can control that, and they're NFL owners, not your agents. So I, that was, I thought, one of the most detestable things that that guys did were they were you know these guys are have never been through it before they're naive and guys would actually make them believe they really could help them move up if you signed with such and such yeah yeah well i was thinking that's a good transition into sort of trade and draft management exactly that's where it's exactly where i was headed yes well First and foremost, we did what we called the guru board, which would be which would have been done um, ten days or so before the first round. And now, is that like the owner photo in Major League? Have you ever seen Major League? Yeah, I have, but I don't remember the scene. They're taking off the. <laughs> They're taking off the wardrobe of the owner. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Where, where? By the end of the draft, Mel's just naked yeah, in the draft room. No, yes, exactly. No. Yes. Um, what we did was take every scouting service, okay, all the gurus, and we took all their grades and threw them in the computer and said, okay, give us one consensus from all, I think we had seven uh, inputs, seven different inputs, Mel and McShay and Roto World and so on and so forth. And so pro football focus didn't exist then. Um, and then that would be, we would laminate that and, and we would say, okay, how does our <laughs> book board look relative to where these guys are from the second round on? Now, the first round, we could predict via mathematical formula, which I won't give you. Only my guys have that. And it would tell us in a clump of three players based on what, what position in the draft we were in, what three we would, we would get. And it, was in, it, and it worked perfectly. And it even worked when we went from 28 to 32. It expanded the clump to four players, but, but it worked. So we always had an idea of who would get to us in the first round. Second and third round, second round, the guru board was pretty good until you got to about pick 50. And then it went off the rails completely. (laughs) (laughs) So at that, you know, we we would sort of line things up the way we felt they were going to go. 
uh, you know, based on our on the guru board, and then say, okay, we're at 27, and we're looking at the following four players, and guess what? Looks like only one is going to get to us. Because everybody knows who the first round grades are. Yeah. I mean, it's right. not a secret. That's why these guys sound so um, uh, filled with wisdom on television because right. everybody knows who the first round grades yeah. are. I used to tell the scouts, my wife can find Peyton right. Manning, for God's sake. We don't need you to find him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. We're good. Yeah. You know, she'll come back as who's that guy, 18? He was 16. He was pretty good, you know? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, Tennessee. Yeah. He threw a lot of touchdown passes. Do we like him? Yeah, we kind of like him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, she, my wife is a bad scout, too, by the way. But I, I, other than that, you know, she's. Yeah. She's not really good. She, she's given me. I took one player for her during my entire career. <laughs> hey, that look was at that. the last one. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay. So we will not be revealing who that player is today. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Um, so the the the, um, the the whole process is that the board tells you basically what's going to happen. So first round trades are done in advance. Right. Yeah. The decision is made in advance. The trigger is pulled in advance i.e. San Francisco, mm -hmm. if you're in a position to know that your guy is going to be there, then you do it in advance. So they obviously knew that one of the quarterbacks was going to be there for them. Mm -hmm. the, the rest of the trades on the clock are made as follows. In the first round, you would be calling right up until about two hours before the draft, um, starting on the, you know, the seven days before the draft. The groundwork would be laid at the owners' meetings where everybody's together and there are functions every night where you can have a drink and meet people and talk. And uh, then you would, you would solidify it. And then you would get to the draft and finally you would say, listen, if our guy is there, when you pick, we will offer you X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested? That's done the week before the draft. And they'll say, yeah, we're interested. Or no, we're not. I, we have a guy we think we're <laughs> going to pick. Yeah. Or, yeah, we're interested, but that won't do it. What you're offering won't do it. Mm -hmm. So you get one of three answers. No, there's a guy we're going to pick. Maybe, but we don't like what you're offering. Or, yes, here's a counter. Mm -hmm. So in answers two and three, now you begin to work out what the appropriate compensation should be. Some people use the Jimmy Johnson uh, chart. We did not. It's just personal preference. You want to explain what that is, though? Yeah, the, the, the Jimmy Johnson chart starts... It, it gives points to every pick in the draft, one through 256. And and the top pick gets 10,000 points right down to one for the 256. So if I'm going to trade you, I'm going to swap ones. I'm at one, uh, you're at one, and I'm at 12. I've got to give you something else to equal the point value. 
Follow? Yep. Yep. Okay. So then we just pick out the appropriate point value, and that's what the deal should be. I never believed in that, even though it was neat and clean, because every draft is not the same. Right. Yeah. Right? So the first guy in this year's draft is worth a hell of a lot. He's a really good quarterback. Next year, it might be an offensive tackle. He's not worth 10,000 points. Mm-hmm. So that's why I that's why I never subscribed to it. Now, the analytics people have jumped in with both feet, both arms, and and. and yeah, and a few children in the, in the mix, <laughs> right. and and it, everyone's coming up with a with, with new metrics and new ways to do it. One was more confusing than the other, um, and and some are so simple. Like I, I read one today, where uh, uh, the guy took all of the tests we've talked about, the triangle drill, and and he put them all together and came up with a gray. I guess right. what we've been doing that for thirty years. <laughs> yeah. It's called scouting. <laughs> We've been doing that actual equation for 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, there's nothing new under the sun. So yeah. I do not like the mathematicians, the analysis, the analytics people in the room because they muddy up the waters. So what we did was have Tom Telesco, who's now the general manager of the of the uh, uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Los Angeles Chargers. Yes, yep, exactly. Got, Bill got that right. He didn't, I, he I didn't passed. Slip. It wasn't fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were good. We, we fought it. Who, who, who went back 10 years, and actually now it's probably 20 years, and did a historical chart on positions in the draft, moves that were made, and what the appropriate – uh, compensation for is to move from historically from twenty four from twelve to three, and so as we talked, we had a historical framework. Lots of teams do it that way, and and if you if you had a team who used the point system, you'd just say, well, you know, I don't speak that language, but here's what we're <laughs> willing to offer, right. and they'd come back and say, well, we re- we should really get a fourth instead of a sixth. Well, maybe I'll give you a fifth. How's that? Okay. You know, because picks beyond the fourth round are called sweeteners. It, it just makes it look better. And it, it, and it confuses the media a little bit. Why is that? Why is it a fifth instead of a third? You know, and, and you just make the trade and move on. You know, it, it's so they're, they're not, nobody argues over those. Uh, unless you're paying too much. Picks in the fourth round are valuable. One through three, that's big-time currency. So there's not much to argue about there. It's not much. You, know, you, you don't really need the chart and all of the, all of the uh, equations to figure it out because what you're really arguing about is, is this guy worth two ones and two twos? Or is he worth a one? Uh, as Marv Levy used to say, a Lawrence Welk trade, a one, a two, and a three. <laughs> you have to be old to understand that reference, but it's funny. You, you have to imagine <laughs> champagne bubbles floating around you when you hear that phrase. But but so those are relatively easy to to figure out, 
And like if somebody came to us and made an offer, um, you know, I would just turn to Tom and say, what does that sound like to you? And say, well, you know, it really should go. It really should be this year, swap a ones this year, a two next year and a two the following year. If they'll take a three next year, that would even it up because the time value of draft choices is the same as the time value of money. Mm-hmm. And, and they're discounted if they're if they're out in the future. So um, then, you know, I would say, OK, uh, let's let's make a counter. Uh, we'll swap ones and, and we'll give them a two next year and and a, and a three the following year. You know, and then then we discuss it and see if the other party uh, was able to do it. And, and in most cases, in most cases, it's done fairly quickly. If trades are made after this second round, this is really important. It's for targeted players. It's not for picks. It's for targeted players. Now, there are analytical people who think that you should accumulate picks regardless of the players. I don't believe that. And there's no validity that 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 works. None. There's no study that says, yes, this is the way to build a team. Mm -hmm. Because this is all about getting the right players, not more players, the right players. We're not. It works in baseball because. They're drafting 17-year-olds. Yeah. Right? And, hun- and hundreds of guys. And hundreds of guys, right. And the more you draft, the, the, you know, the greater the odds of hitting. That's not true here. Um, for those that are, that are listeners that, that understand baseball, the NFL draft is much like the 40-man roster in baseball. That's who we're drafting. We're drafting guys who are going to be on the 40-man roster who are finished, close to finished products. So the idea of accumulating picks in rounds one through seven is ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't do you any good. Right. One through three is where the action is. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, due to your uh, the success you had every place, you were normally in the position you're drafting late, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how often... Was there a guy up there that you felt you you needed to do something to get up there to get him? Well, quite often, uh, if we were drafting 28 or 29, let's say, or 27, somewhere in that vicinity, there might be a guy that you were hoping had a first-rate round grade that would get to you. And so the question would be, um, what what does it cost you to go up and get him? Right. What does it cost you to jump over somebody? Um, And the best example I can give is in in this year's draft, the reason the 49ers went up was because there were teams that were going to draft quarterbacks in front of them. So they knew that, that one of the quarterbacks that they wanted would never get to them. So the question was, what price are they willing to pay to go up to three in order to in order to uh, uh, get that you know get the guy of their choice, and uh, and they they worked out a deal with Miami and away they went. So that's why you do it, and it's always for a targeted player. It, it's almost never for a spot in the draft. 
again, when you're down in the lower rounds, it's always for a targeted player. We got to go get this guy. He's the last tackle on the board. Let's go get him. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not like that's where the, the, maybe the bad part about Kyle Shanahan's Monday interview, where he's saying, yeah, we're happy with all three of the guys that might be there. Number yeah, three. I, I, he's <laughs> blowing smoke and I don't blame him. In fact, I applaud him for <laughs> right. it. Right. He's not tipping his hand. Yeah. 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 But what, why, what is the point of blowing smoke in that spot? Because uh, it's not like they're going to move back just for fun. No, but, th- but they could. They could. Yeah, just for fun. You're like, just keep everybody else off guard. Al Davis was famous oh. for calling you. Like, um, and particularly with third and fourth round where there's a lot of variable in, in terms of wh- which team, where people had people rated, where people had players rated. So he would have somebody almost, he would never make the call himself, but he'd have somebody make the call, usually Bruce Allen. Let me digress here. When you're making uh, draft calls, friends talk to friends. So Al would say, who gets along with Polian? And Bruce would say, I, I get along with him pretty well. We're yeah. good friends from the USFL. Okay, make him this offer. <laughs> That's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you good? Hey, Tommy, you good with, uh, with, with so-and-so in Atlanta? Yeah, go ahead and make the call, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the way it works. Just like any other business. Yeah, just like any other business. But especially when you work for the genius. He was he was going to tell you. I mean, I mean, you were. But Al would be famous for calling people and saying, listen, uh, would you be interested in our pick in the third round, which was like the 14th pick in the draft, you know, 14th pick in the round? They, yeah, I would. You bet. And, uh. Bruce was uh, Bruce say okay I, I'll get back to you so you know we'd get near their pick and no call and no call and no call <laughs> and they'd pick somebody and all they did <laughs> was get you not focused focused on their pick instead of what right. you were gonna do right <laughs> so, pretty good pretty good pretty good exactly good so um so uh when you're doing all this, um, as we've talked about in other shows, um, you know, how do you, you, I mean, two things. One, we know that half of the first round is not going to succeed. And two, we know that almost half of the first round are not really first rounders, right? I mean, there's 16, 18 guys. So how, how do you keep that all in your head, Bill, without getting sort of as you're kind of telling us, without getting overly emotional, without getting like, oh, we got to get into the first half of the first round to get a guy. How do you how do you maintain that discipline? Well, it's, it's just like driving a car, or flying an airplane, or captaining a ship. I mean, you you know what your job is, yeah. you know what the ramifications of your job are. Uh, you can't be emotional about it. You have to be. You have to be. Uh, I mean, you have players that you know you want to get. Your job is to is to get them, and and that's all your job is. That's what the draft is all about. Get the players that can help your team win. And sometimes you're going to miss on guys, and you'll be you you get upset for thirty seconds, and then boom, you know, you turn around and let's get back to, on to the next. Yeah, yeah. next, and, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let let's bring it home on this. Let's bring it home on the most important question. Who got to pick food, and what were the top food items for the draft? Uh, well, we had we had a everybody sort of 
had their own uh, deal. My deal was hot dogs. Okay. Um, some of the other guys liked the chicken. Um, and, and we, we, we said uh, the strength coach has no input on draft weekend. <laughs> right, right, right. Fry, you want fried chicken, you have fried chicken. You want pigs in a blanket? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, desserts, you can have all the desserts you want. And the strength coach is pretty judgy, right? Oh, yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, he would be cringing, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great guy as he is, he would be cringing. And, and uh, uh, so, you know, everybody sort of, they didn't order individually, but everybody gave their preference, and then the, the, the caterer, our director of operations, would make sure that there was a wide variety of food. Yeah. And, and, if, and, and if it didn't, if, one, if some dish didn't taste good on 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 uh, on Thursday because everybody was kind of on edge and grouchy and so forth, then it wouldn't appear on on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> and then after the draft was pizza and beer time in the draft room. Exactly. There you go. All right, gang. Well, hopefully you order something good tonight for rounds two and three of the draft and get ready for a fun weekend. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Bet Online. And if you have anything you want us to cover as we start analyzing what teams have done in the draft, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at IFBillPolian. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy draft. Yep. Enjoy. Yeah, I think we're doing hot dogs. <laughs> Are you doing hot dogs? At least Probably, me, yeah. Just tell me they're kosher dogs. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.